Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show. Brought to you with Levi Solicitors. Look at how prompt that was. You're doing really, really well. You started the show really quickly, though. I know. I I'm doing it now to try and throw you off. Michael's here, by the way. That was like a high press yeah. start to the show. <laughs> do, do you think? Johnny's, Johnny's here, Johnny Cooper from Opto as well. Delighted to be in the room for the big three, the delivery of the big three. Do you know what the big three are? Um, oh, put me on the spot. Yeah. Wills, probate, conveyancing. I don't do it as good as you, though. It, it takes years of practice to get this good at it, doesn't it? Certainly does, and they do loads of other legal services for you and for your business. Ten percent discount on your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Favorite one, Michael? Probate. No, of the not of the big three. Oh, of the other. Oh, well, obviously they're my favorite. Sorry, uh, the others probably. Ooh, something to do with professional negligence. I knew you were going to say that. Why? Because it's my favorite. Okay. Because that's why I have to sit and endure every time you deliver that read for Levi Solicitors. Professional negligence. Anyway, we are here to have a chat about the season so far with Johnny Cooper, who works at Opta, Opta the Stats people here in the UK, put together numbers, pull numbers, and supply them to the football industry as well. So if you watch Match of the Day, and Gary Lineker says some things yep. from you lot. Could be me. Could have been me that sent that. So it's quite a, yeah, quite a nice um, nice job to have, to have that instant gratification of sending things and then seeing it on the, um, yeah, seeing it on the TV in the evening, so... Great Thank stuff. You. Yeah, but your special, it's like on Mastermind, your specialised subject is Leeds United, obviously. Yeah, I did actually apply for Mastermind uh, a couple of years ago. And um, I think my specialist subject was Leeds in League One. Because that was like when I was growing up, going to the games. And I think I could probably answer quite a few questions about that. Like, Darren Darren Kenton. Darren Kenton, yeah. That's one of the answers, I reckon. You 16, reckon yeah. 16 games that season, yeah. Well done. Well done, Michael. I can't believe you got that. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Peter Sweeney. Two, that's two. Carlisle. Yeah, <laughs> misery. <laughs> just no. Just put the answers in. You can work your own questions out. Windy oval, right? Um, so we're here to talk. Yeah, talk about the season so far in in the championship. Some of the trends you've noticed, some of the little patterns that are developing. Uh, first of which is not scoring first, and you have you've got a crib sheet in front of you. Wow, look at all that! You've actually done more prep than Michael ever does for any of these shows. You have to do really with the stat. If you, if you come unprepared with the stats, it's it's a it's a bad idea. Because if you yeah. get asked a question, you don't have it, then you do look a bit yeah, look a bit silly. I so, mean, he, look, he's been doing this podcast for what <laughs> thirteen years now, and he gets by. I'm getting the hang of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so yeah, not scoring first. We don't tend to score first. Yeah. So this is the first season in our entire history where we've not scored first in our first seven games of the season in any of our first seven games. So if you think back to sort of like the. Elsa era, which obviously we like to look back on. Um, we scored, scored in the first twenty-five away games. We scored first, we won. And you know, you think about how many times we used to score first under Bielsa and then take control of the game. And that's not something that we've seen so far with the team because we've not, we've not had that control of a game. If that makes sense, you know, we've we've 
let the first goal in in six of the games and then obviously the one was the nil-nil. So actually being able to score first and just have that sort of take the pressure off a little bit and just keep the ball. Uh, yeah. We've not sort of seen that yet. So just from, a, as, again, from almost like a fan perspective, it would be nice to watch this team, which is obviously quite a young team, which we'll get on to, and just have that little bit of, we've scored first, right, let's just, let's take the game from here. Every time, every game just seems to be, we've let the first one in, we've got to come back into the game. Which is a pattern, actually, to be fair, and you'll, you might know this, I don't know if you've got it to hand, but when we were in the Premier League, obviously that happened a lot more because we were rubbish. Yeah, I mean, well, I was looking actually at, just in terms of, again, going back to like scoring first, but last season we scored first and kept a clean sheet twice. Right. So you, you think back to the football that we were playing, we were scoring first, but we weren't, taking control of the game because we didn't have the ball. We didn't right. know what to do with the ball. Obviously, that's a big criticism of, of the Jesse Marsh team was that there was no sort of plan on the ball. It was very much we want to give the ball back to the other team, press them high and win it back. Um, so I, I was looking at the stats and like under Bielsa, we scored first and kept a clean sheet 50 times. And then since he was he's left, we've done that three times right. in a game. So it's, it's sort of lacking that. If you can name those three games, I'm going to... What, what, what was the, the exact specific stat was? So, so scoring first, Score first and then keeping a clean sheet in the game. And that's since, since he left the Southampton game, yeah. Southampton, yeah. Chelsea. Chelsea. And there was one in the previous year, just at the end of that season, away from home. Brentford we conceded, didn't we? Prior to that, who did we play away? We won 3 0. Wolves were conceded. Uh, Watford? Watford. Watford. Yeah. There we Watford. go, gone. We were lucky in that, though. Well, yeah, we should have let a couple in, I think, to be fair. Now. So yeah, that was actually as well, speaking about clean sheets, that was the last time we kept consecutive clean sheets was Watford followed by Crystal Palace, which was that awful nil-nil on the Monday night. And they were the last two games Stuart Dallas played the full 90 minutes for. So we haven't ah. kept a consecutive clean sheet since Jack Grealish nearly killed Stuart Dallas. So, yeah. Yeah. so Stuart Dallas carries the clean sheets Getting with him. back in the team. I'm, I'm glad that you've shifted the blame onto Grealish. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was easily done. <laughs> it was, a, sick, it was. a sickening tackle for Grealish. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> his fault, just put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, Yes, and lack of clean sheets is yes, is another pattern that we that we've noticed. So not scoring first, lack of clean sheets. Those two things together strike me as a bit of a problem. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously we got the one against Sheffield Wednesday, which was nice, nice to actually just leave the ground knowing we hadn't conceded a goal. But we haven't kept a clean sheet. I think it was twenty-one games before that. It was the longest since two thousand and four. I think if we'd have let in against uh, like going against Sheffield Wednesday, it would have been the longest since like nineteen forty-seven. Wow, you know, when we were like rationing food, so yeah, it's like a long time. That was still like thirty odd games. I think you, you thirty-eight games. Yeah, you sent me that stat. It was, it was like, that season was just after the war when um, you know we lost quite a, quite a few players. We had a really bad team, like one of the worst teams in the history of the top flight. Yeah, um, we didn't keep a clean sheet for the last thirty odd games that year. So yeah, do you reckon so, then this the, the not scoring first and the lack of clean sheets has almost been like the long tail of the post Bielsa era and. It, it feels like I mean, you know, we we spoke to Angus Kinnear this um, this last week, and it almost felt like that was a bit of a sort of a bookend of that era. And the closing of this transfer window is, is almost like the start, the jump off point for for Farker. I think it's about about right, about fair ish, even psychologically. I think it seems fair enough because he he now knows the squad, doesn't he? That he's that he's got to work with. Whereas until the end of last week, it did still feel like he was going well. It's probably this is my first eleven, but. XYZ might leave another few players might come in um, so yeah it's, we'll, we'll give him a fresh start I mean the defence is starting to transform I guess as well because you know if we're now looking at Jamie Shackleton as a left back we're looking at uh, Rodon's gone in and then presumably Spence is going to start mm-hmm. yeah. start coming into the team now it is it has at least been refreshed because I think at the start of the season you looked at the back line and you went well it's still the same defence that was conceding a load of goals last year and that never looked particularly solid, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe something needs to change there, other than just the obviously the level we're playing at. 
I am kind of surprised we've not been able to be a bit tighter in this league though. Mm. Because you do, you look at most Premier League teams and they do have dangerous players where, whereas I did look at Cardiff's on the opening day and mm. went, yeah, should beat these really. Yeah. It, it's, it was a bit shapeless was that game though, wasn't it? Nobody quite knew what to expect. <laughs> it was it was so new, it was almost too new. Yeah, there was kind of the, the resignation in the ground as well. When that first one went in, everyone was a bit like, yeah, I've yeah, seen, this, seen this movie before. We're, we're doing yeah. this again, are we? Yeah. And then yeah. the second one went and it was like, Christ, you know, like what? What are we doing? Why are we not? You know, this is Cardiff, but yeah, I mean, since since again, just sorry to keep mentioning Bielsa, but he, he's staring at me over there. Since he left, we've kept eight clean sheets in the league, and that's the second fewest of any team who's yeah. been in the in Does, the top. Four explains season, why they're looking to change the defence, doesn't it? Yeah, it is pretty wholesale, isn't it? With the exception of Strauch at the minute, and I know you know Cooper was injured or whatever, but yeah, they've uh, they've clearly identified defence as a weakness. So, and I think so, speaking about Melier as well, the psychological impact it would have on him of never keeping a clean sheet, and I know he has been to blame occasionally for goals, mm. but just knowing every game you concede and getting and yeah. the amount of work he's had to do, I feel like since I mean even with Bielsa here, he had a lot of work to do both both in terms of saving shots and just the pressure put on him by receiving the ball in awkward areas and stuff that he was expected to do under under Bielsa. I kind of feel like maybe this is a fresh start for him as well mm. now if he gets to just have some games where he doesn't have to pull off four or five saves and also deal with the ball in some awkward spots hopefully it bodes well going forward um your one of your stats i say your stats was as an up to stat got me in deep trouble last year i think i know what this is yeah yeah yep. so it was in the premier league if you've got eight points after five games you've got oh, was it 96 percent chance of staying up i think that's right yeah yeah, yeah there was there was another one i was looking because we won two of our first three last year as well yeah and i think we were like the third team to get relegated after doing that it was like wolves in 2011 12 and then west brom 2017 18 so we we started off really quite well actually that Chelsea win was amazing um, mm. and obviously it fell, fell apart after that so. but yeah so that, that was an optus that I saw yeah. I thought oh well you Cole, know, Cole is out there from, from a statistic <laughs> point of view that looks good I do remember saying at the time that if there's one club that can book the trend just kind of <laughs> just dismissively joking it's Leeds United and we, we were the four percenters yeah so we should, we should be proud of that I think that we, we, uh, we beat the odds we beat absolutely we beat, <laughs> we beat the odds completely yeah is there a similar stat that you've got then for the state of things after five games this season that you can ruin my life with for another 12 months? No, uh, no, I think there's, there's some positive. I mean, I've looked at championship winners over the last, since 2004-05. Burnley last year had the same record as we do after five games. Right. So one, one, drawn three, lost one. Um, and they'd scored six and conceded six. So we've scored seven, conceded seven. So, and then they ended up romping the league, got 100 points. I think after the first five so you're saying games, that's what we're going to do? I basically, uh, ooh, yeah, uh, yeah, what's, well, the, what's the percentage chance of that happening? <laughs> very, very low. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, yeah, I think after the first five games, they won something like 15 more points than any other team. Right. Um, and, you know, really clicked into gear. So, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not definitely not going to say Leeds are going to do that, but it's, you know, and again, looking at previous championship winners, no championship winner has ever started with five wins out of five. Right. So no team's ever come straight out the blocks and, and, and won the first five games. There's only one team ever in championships won the first five games. And that was Neil Warnock's Cardiff, and they did get promoted at the end of the season. Right. In second, um, I, was, I, was, I was just thinking of the the, uh, the Warnock season because that started all right. There was a couple, I think there were two wins out of three there. Yeah, and thinking oh, I might be working like this, and then there was a bad patch. But then we had, an, I'm just got the results paid. We had another good patch then between 22nd of September, 23rd of October. We didn't win a game, so we we didn't lose a game. So we won one three, drew three, and you were like, oh, it's starting to click. Is this maybe Warnock's got it? And then there was just October, November lost four out of five drew at Burton and it was like okay yeah this is this is not the year for it no drawing at Burton that makes me feel sad just thinking about that <laughs> that really happened didn't it yeah there was the 6-1 defeat to Watford in there as well that was fun 
Mm. Yeah. So remember the Warnock cam they used to put on YouTube, where they used to film him. There's a graph. It's not on YouTube anymore. I hope somebody's got it. That Watford game. He's just stood on the touchline, sort of kicking every goal in that Watford score. It's a really, really fun watch. So we don't need to panic. Is the basically the, the underlying message from the from the start? Yeah, I mean, I looked again at the average points of the Championship winners after five games, and it's like eight point eight, so just under nine. So we've got obviously we've got six. Um, so it's not a, so it's within a win we're, yeah we're not we're not miles away it's not like again like I said no team comes firing right, right out the blocks and, and then goes and wins, wins the league and the championship just, just never happens it's when you contrast it with the, with the Premier League where you've got was it eight fewer games and there is a sense that you need to just keep winning you just need to keep winning like I mean like Bielsa's first season the, the ninth place finish you know you, you stay up with nine ten wins or whatever it is. so you need about one in every four you need to just make sure you just keep those wins ticking on the board and if you've got sort of six or whatever post Christmas, then you're thinking, oh, we're probably going to be all right here. Yeah. Um, it's, it's slightly different in the championship. Those extra games, the fact that lots of teams take lots of points off each other, it's a very, very even league. Is that is that true? Does that, is that borne out in the stats, do you think? Yeah, I, was, I think we obviously we beat Ipswich, and Ipswich have won their other four games, I think. And they, you know, they, they beat another team, I think, which I think I've talked about who else they beat, but I'm thinking we've beat Ipswich, and then like, They've beaten. I think they beat Cardiff, and then Cardiff took a point off us. Yeah. So it kind of all goes round and round. Like school playground like rules. A, yeah, you could probably yeah. make like a big circle of teams who've beaten each other in the championship. It's just one of those leagues. So yeah. consistency, obviously. And we've been quite a young side, which is something you mentioned just um, yeah. just a little bit earlier in the show. And I think we mentioned this on the, on the show actually when we were previewing one of the games. And we've got a really, really young average age compared to to the rest of the league. Yeah, we. I demanded grizzled championship bastards. We're putting in grizzled championship kids. That's true. Uh, yeah, second youngest behind Sunderland, who started really well. They look like a really good team. I think a sixteen-year-old scored them the other day. Um, but yeah, the average age is twenty-three years and three hundred and fifty days. Right. Um, and that's our youngest across the first five games of a season since nineteen sixty-seven. Right. So it's a you know it's pretty. Unprecedented, really. You think about some of the younger teams we've had in the past, like the late nineties, early two thousands. They still had people like David Batty and those like Lucas Radaby and that kind of team. Whereas we don't really, we don't really have that many older players now. Like Ailing being injured, obviously Cooper's been injured. Uh, the goalkeeper's twenty three, so it's not like we've got a really old goalkeeper. So that team is, you know, is really young and very, you know. Well, Kamara's noticeably older, isn't he? At twenty seven, you kind of go, yeah. oh, he's he's like of that age. Even some of our more, more grizzled championship bastards, people like Piro, still still a young man. He's, he's only twenty four. Twenty four. So yeah. you you kind of think, oh, he's a, he's an experienced older head in there, and almost you almost put Ampadu in there as well because he's played a lot of games, but he's still incredibly young. He's just been he played his first game at sixteen, didn't he? Yeah, for, yeah. for Exeter. He did, so he's been he's been around forever, but actually he's still still very young. Yeah. Speaking of boy children I guess Archie Gray skews that stat somewhat as well being so young yeah that's true um, he's the third youngest player to start seven games in a row for Leeds ever wow um, behind Terry Connor and Billy Bremner so some good names there yeah and in a completely different era where young players just do not get bedded in the same way it's one of the observations that um, I think somebody made to me about the, the Premier League the Premier League is a very old league very few youngsters get just chucked into the Premier League there are yeah. some some noticeable exceptions but it is, by and large, a very experienced league, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think... I remember Meslier when he was playing uh, in the Premier League a few years ago and he started... I think he was like the youngest goalie to start every game or not every game, first 10 games of the season. Um, so, like, again, like we were picking, you know, somebody like him when usually your goalkeeper is 29-30 at least. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, a league where... I think teenagers do get... I mean, Brighton are kind of the exception to the rule where they've brought quite a lot of young players through and some really, really good good players. But, yeah, typically, typically you don't really see them. Are we too young to go up? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, okay. <laughs> you, you win nothing with kids. Just, I'm just thinking: is there? A, there might there may well be a stat that says you need an average age of at least 
26 to get promoted out of this league. This is one of them things where I've not got that stat in front of me. And I'm, I'm then we're going to we're gonna have to wait a few years. Yeah. Sorry, Willie. You've asked to be staying for a while. If there's one club that can book the trend. But you look at Willie Nonto, and I, I don't see a 19-year-old in Willie Nonto. In my mind, he's older than that. He's in his 20s. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why I perceive him like that. Is it because he's an international or something like that? See, I think I, see, I almost see him as even younger than he is. Oh, really? Yeah, just because he's got a big daft grin. And, right. he's, and he's dead little. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's got the, he's got the thighs of a... Of like a thirty-year-old powerlifter, but he's <laughs> generally speaking, he's I don't know his, his size and everything, I, I, and I suppose some of his mannerisms on the pitch as well. He looks a bit, oh, dad, yeah, like, right, he throws yeah. his arms around a bit. I don't the, know. The, the petulance of youth is definitely there. I think when he when he that Salford game where I think Somerville got the ball taken off him and he just came in and just wiped the guy out. He took the ball off him. It was like. Yeah, just, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I yeah, didn't do it. He, he did. He literally didn't know what. Um, um, funny, isn't it? Archie Gray carries himself a lot older than that. It just sort of <laughs> glides around the pitch. Has, has he um, set any records this season so far? Then beyond uh, the one that you mentioned, the, the seven, the seven starts. Um, I think he was beyond that. I think he was like the, uh, the second youngest player to play in our first five games of the season. I think there, were, there was only one of the seventeen-year-old was John Charles, right, back in nineteen forty-nine. Heard he was quite good. He's a decent little player. Yeah, yeah. Bad, especially when he went up front. But now I think he could play anywhere, John Charles and what they said. But um, yeah, I think, well, he was the youngest player to play for Leeds since Aidan White in 2008 when he played. So that was, you know, it's a long time ago. So even though he was, you know, you think like 17, I don't see that as, for a footballer, like you see 17-year-olds playing. So the fact that we hadn't picked anyone as young since then was quite a surprise. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he has been really good. But I think playing, again, this is kind of an argument that you hear quite a lot in the in the, in the media is, should you be playing players of that age? as often or should you be like bedding them in and I think now we've got Glenn Kamara we've got Gruevs coming as well we can kind of rest him and then just bring him back in and he might you know he might be might be really good with a bit of a rest so. yeah do not want to burn we don't want burn to fully Sam Byram him do we quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Given you said your, your specialist subject was Leeds in League One, 
What did you think of Aidan White when he first came through? Because I, I thought he looked brilliant. Fantastic. Very, very fast. Very yeah. fast, I remember. I, yeah, I think I was at that f- his first game, the Crystal Palace League mm. Cup game. Yeah, I remember and He that. looked really, he looked tiny. He was right in front of us in the West End. He looked so small, but he was really good. He started like four or five games in a row mm. under McAllister. But yeah, and then he sort of, he, injuries, I think, like, yeah, ruined him in the end. And he he kind of spanned quite a, a long era as well. Like He mm. came in in 2008, so he made his debut alongside Enoch Shornley. And then his last game was alongside Brian Montenegro. Right. Last game of the 2014-15 season when he just got one game that year. So he's yeah. like spanned a, a long era, like played with Liam Cooper as well. You wouldn't think Aidan White would have played with Liam Cooper. So. It's that, funny, was that the cup game? Sund- was it cup at Sunderland, Brian um, Montenegro? He did play in that game, yeah. He came on against Rotherham last game of the season. I see, I, it's amazing. I find it amazing that you can remember these these stats. Like, I've got... A, not How an can insight- you forget Brian Montenegro? I mean, admittedly, <laughs> if Brian Montenegro was in this room now, I would be absolutely none the wiser. He is. <laughs> yeah, that's him there. Yeah, um, no, I, it's, I was just going to say it's dead funny that sort of post-Premier League relegation, so let's say early to mid-2000s, I'm not saying I've got an encyclopedic knowledge, but I've got a very firm memory of that entire era going backwards towards like, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. 2004 onwards, I couldn't necessarily tell you the difference between about the mid-2000s and the mid-2010s who played, <laughs> in what area you could say a name to me, which is why I always do badly, you know, we do quizzes about this stuff, like on the member show. Mm. I'm like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you whether Brian Montenegro, I could, I could only timestamp it because I know he was one of Chilinos, but you said like, if you said a name to me like Armando Sarr, for example, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to place him within a decade. Re- re- relegation to League One season. Right. He was, yeah. Yeah, again, I can't remember anything that Armando Sarr did. I can't remember how he played. I just remember he was there and he's got one of the shortest names we've ever had. So Very small mm. scrabble score. Very small, yeah. Mm. But, I, yeah, I seem to remember him seeming all right for like the first few games in that way that you give new signings some slack chance, yeah. and by the end you're like fucking this guy <laughs> do you think it's as well about sort of again, I mean this in a, in a nice way but it's like growing up it's like an age thing yeah probably so like for you is like a, that era you grew up in you remember all the players and like for me that same as your, mu- it's your music habits as well isn't it they say you always yeah. your music sticks in your head from when you were about what 16, 17 exactly or something like that, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that, so that's kind of for me that's my era my first season ticket was 2004-05 so I got the like start mm-hmm. of the the bad era, really. Yeah. But this is like Leandra Griffith playing 25 minutes at Derby. I mean, that's... Yeah. It's like I was I was still there, but I just emotionally, I think I completely drifted from it. It was just a thing that I, I kind of did. It's, it's as well as you get older, you, your general time spent looking at football stuff differs as well. Like Does I, it? I, I, well, it changed. You know, I spend 19 hours a day on Twitter. Do you know, it's just changed, I think, is the thing. Because yeah. the, the like I would have always played a load, load of champ manager and I'd have had sticker books and that sort of more general football knowledge I think was my my general football knowledge was really good in the 2000s like late 90s mid to late 90s into the mid 2000s was good and then at some point I started drinking and just just focusing on Leeds <laughs> your brain just melted <laughs> pretty much I feel like there's a transition where I think Leeds dropped out of the Premier League which meant my football interest in a wider sense tailed off a bit because I was a bit like oh, that's just a thing that's going on without us and the op- the opportunity to just look at lead stuff from forums and then later Twitter meant I looked more at that than that's because I never ran out of lead stuff to look at. I suppose what I was saying you, before you could read like a bit of lead stuff on in a paper or on teletext or whatever, but then you run out of that within twenty minutes. So you'd be like, oh, I'll read about Newcastle, fine. Yeah, but then you, and you kind of you had to engage other stuff, didn't you? That was the yeah. point. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now you can just endlessly read people giving the shit opinions on stuff <laughs> including, <laughs> including ourselves oh completely yeah. yeah absolutely I think maybe that's why like the Bielsa era reignited something you know we're getting misty about Bielsa again but it reignited something in a lot of people who 
maybe had emotionally drifted away from it all after so many years, like in the emotional wilderness release, not really giving a shit. For this to come along and suddenly feel this incredible bond to the players, the team, the manager, and it all just, for it was like lightning in a bottle, wasn't it? It was just perfect for those sort of three years or whatever. It was fun. Yeah. I think was the was what you. But yeah. I mean, I, but even growing up, I don't remember football being much fun. It was great when we got promoted; that was amazing. But again, that was quite stressful through that season. Like mm. I remember, you know, three games before we won at Bournemouth or whatever it was. Two games before mm. we had the Barnsley game, and I remember, you know, I was I was, I was just shy of twelve, and I remember just being absolutely consumed by dread and anxiety at, at that point for the Barnsley game, where we nearly we felt like we were going to throw it away again. I think, um, I think as well with the Bielsa era, you had all those players sticking around for a long time we'd gone through so many eras of players just coming along for 20 games on loan or those players what you could probably name like you'd name the Revy era like 1 to 11 you'd name all those players whereas like you know in the Bielsa era you, again you could there's so many players you can just name because they were just there for so long which we didn't have like players hitting like 200 appearances we had like 3 or 4 in one year and it was like the first time for about 20 odd years we had that so it was, yeah. we had a genuine connection with and obviously we did really well helped I think into the second year of Bielsa as well part of the thing that that got us over the Derby playoff defeat was going, well, Bielsa's staying. It'll be the same squad, pretty much. We sort of know where we're, we're going with this. Yeah, it was almost yeah. a, the very epitome of we go again. But it felt like every other year, it was you got to summer and you went, right, that's torn up. Five or six are leaving. Another five or six are getting bunged in the reserves and probably loaned out yeah. late in the window. And you, you never really got to know any of the players. And as soon as you as soon as soon you did, a new manager came in and they wanted to change everything mm. again anyway. Yeah. Or Cellino was there and he was picking the team. So mm. it was, you never you never got attached to anyone, did you, until that point? No. I think even like Bielsa was like the first manager to manage on the opening day in consecutive years for about seven or eight years. So mm. again, like you say, a new manager every year, a new turnover. Sure. And the, like you said, they're talking about falling in love with it um, and it being fun. The possession style of football just blew you away, didn't it? I, I remember that Stoke game, just going, look, what is this? Is all my dreams like have actually happened? And mm. it's it's all come together. This is the thing for years. I grew up craving watching Leeds being this good, and it happened, and they did it. And that I mean, thankfully, we know we went off the rails in between times with a non-possession style. But it seems to be potentially that Farker's style will, to a certain extent, reflect um, a lot more possession, if even if it's not quite the same. Yeah. So we're we're back up to we're sixth in the championship for successful passes. Ninety three percent of our passes have been a short passes now. So rather than Poofing it long, getting it out wide. Um, fourth for successful passing in the opposition half as well, which is quite a quite an important one. I did. I was looking at work the day, and like Hull are quite high up for, for passes, successful passes. I think they're above us, but sixty four percent of their passes have been in their own half. So they're keeping possession so in defence with yeah, yeah, like two or three of the, the players doing, have, doing a yap stams ready. Yeah, that, that game where yeah where we beat them two and it was brilliant. Um, yeah, it, it, so they're like two or three of the top players for um, successful passes in the league are hull defenders because they're just keeping mm. it between themselves. They get exactly like the you know the Yapstan team at Reading. So yeah, we're, we're you know we are playing up the pitch. You know, somebody I was out before the game last week was asking about do you have successful passes in the opposition half as a stat because I think people see successful passes as just like I just mentioned with the whole team just keeping all the ball. So we are playing. You know, we are trying to play in the other team's half, which is obviously what we want. What we want to do. We're averaging 135 more successful passes this season than we were last season. Obviously, the caveat of that is we had four different managers take charge of us. We were in the Premier League, um, but we are trying to keep hold of the ball, which is a positive, in my opinion. Yeah. Who are our best passers? Do you have that? Uh, Strike is, I think, fourth for successful passes. And Ampadu, uh, I guess, is Ampadu's up there as well. I think Ampadu's in the top 10 for central midfielders for passing. Mm. Yeah, Strike, Strike's a, uh, kind of an outlier, actually, in, in, in the stats. He's. I think he's even in the top 10 for successful passes in the opposition half as a centre-half. So. so they're playing that high up the he's pitch. He's the one who's, wow. yeah. 
we have a we have a stat called um, uh, ball carrying stats. So um, it basically just means when a player has a control of the ball, he moves it five meters. So can be in any direction. Um, but strike is top four carrying the ball distance-wise in metres and carrying the ball progressively in metres as well, moving it up the pitch. Yeah. Um, so he's the one who's kind of gets hold of the ball and then moves it up and then... It's interesting it. that when you when I've noticed Farkas football kind of clicking and it's, it's a small sample size so far, isn't it? When it clicks, it's when we've seen Strauch will pick it up and run with it. Rodon's done it a couple of times as yeah. well, hasn't he? But Ampadu as well. Get the ball, come and receive it deep but then carry it into that space in front of him yeah. and, and it kind of it ignites the crowd. Definitely. Charlie Cresswell did that as well when he came on against Cardiff. He was just like rampaging with the ball and like loving it. He got onto the uh, you know opposition penalty area a couple of times, and fans love that. Like the player actually taking the games to the opposition. Yeah, is it something we need to do more often, or does that lead to fruitful things happening? Is it borne out in the stats? Yeah. Or do we not know? Um, yeah, I couldn't say. I mean, again, it's like risk and reward, I suppose. Like, and how does that stack up then compared to like the last 12, 18 months? Yeah, again with passing accuracy. I know Michael, you mentioned this quite a lot on the match balls where you've got your phone and looking through the mm. statistics. Um, and last season it was 75%, this season it's 85%. Right. Um, so we've not dipped below 80% passing accuracy in any game under Farker. Again, it, you know, there's, there's again like caveats to that of opposition we're playing and that sort of thing, but it does show that we, we are able to keep the ball. We've got, the, you know, we've got a structure where players know where to be and where to pass to, which is obviously what we saw under Bielsa. And then like last season, I try and forget that Sam Allardyce was our manager because it, is, <laughs> it quite it embarrasses me a little bit, but... Just that first game against Man City, again, great team. We were never going to out-possession Man City in that game, but we had 120 successful passes in that game, right? which was our lowest on record over the last 10 years. They're about 10,000, I think. And they had the highest last season in that game as well. It was the the biggest disparity. Yeah, and um, what is the sort of average, what's considered good in terms of successful passes, do we know? In terms of for teams, well, well, yeah. So if we're at eighty-five percent, is that considered good, oh, or you know, like, yeah, how does yeah. it stack up against the average? Yes, kind of yeah, that, that's yeah, well above the average. I think it's in the top five or six in the league. So again, it, that'll probably average out over the season. I mean, you look at teams like Man City will be well up there at the top because they're you know elite level. But yeah, what yeah. is it about spending fifty million pounds on it's every strange, position? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's weird how, how that works <laughs> out. So that do you think that's trending in the right direction? Then that uh, the possession yeah. does it does it indicate that a, hopefully a brighter future lies ahead because we've looked like we've had quite a lot of possession but not always knowing what to do with it at times we've been frustrated and passed it side to side trying to find those openings yeah I think I think what we mentioned earlier about scoring the first goal as well mm. getting the first goal getting the confidence going opens the game up opens the game yeah, yeah, yeah and then they've got to come at us to score a goal and then all of a sudden we can start you know putting those you know putting those sequences together and the one of the archetypal leadsy things to happen happened again this season Salford but we kind of as we were saying like in the analysis of this what can you even say about the Salford game because it was just so stupid that we had so many chances, so much possession, we just made all the running and then you lose on penalties because, you know, why not? Because we're Leeds. Yeah. Um, and we've broke <clears throat> records in that game, have we? We did, yeah. Some yeah, some new Leeds records. But, uh, well, we've Optus analysed every League Cup game over the last five seasons and Leeds had the most shots, shots from inside the box and touches in the opposition box of any team in a game in that time and still managed to get knocked out. So leads, isn't it? Good, yeah. It's actually funny. The thing is, in that game, like if we'd have scored, again, talking about the first goal, if we'd have got a goal the first 20 minutes when we were miles on top, we probably would have won 4 or 5 nil. there. Mm. Well, Black, but Blackburn won 8-0, didn't they? Against, yeah, exactly. Yeah, was it Harrogate they played? Yeah, Harrogate Town. Yeah. Yeah. And, and their stats, I think, were lower than ours, <laughs> their output. Yeah, they had a lower XG than, than we did in that, in that game and scored 8 goals. Yeah, yeah. What, so, what's wrong with this football club? I know. Yeah. It never seems to happen the other way either, does it? That a team will have that absolutely batter us, but we'll manage to hang on. I don't know, I feel like that... Man, Man, City, was, Man City away was the one and only time I think it's yeah. happened in living memory. Oh, the 2-1. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we've still were kind of in that... No, actually they did. They did have an awful lot of 
a lot, a lot of possession, a lot of passes and chances. Didn't yeah. They? But you, again, you kind of come away from that game annoyed that we got knocked out on penalties and it was Salford and Gary Neville's team and all that rest of it. And, but we we played well enough to win that game six seven nil probably. Mm. You know, we we it wasn't like we played badly and got knocked out on penalties, which has happened before. We dominated that game from start to finish. So it's again, it's positive signs. And the, in fact, the, the funny thing that we remember taking away from that game was the goal we scored was a, a horrendous goal. Like it was the worst free kick Green was probably ever taken for Leeds. And somehow it just managed to end up at Strike's feet and he, and he scored. So, all a good play. Have the new new signings uh, bedded in then? Is there anything we need to look out for with them? Any patterns you're noticing emerging? Uh, well, I was looking at some of the Jaden Anthony stats, obviously, with oh, him okay. um, replacing Sinistera. Um, and he was seventh for chances created in the championship the last time Bournemouth were in the championship. Um, he was second for big chances created. So uh, presume they're in League One at the minute. <laughs> they probably dropped down to there. I League imagine. Two or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. go on. That's right. um, yeah, second for big chances created. So big chances, basically, when a player has a more than reasonable chance of scoring the goal. It's that's sort of the opta definition. So yeah, he was second for creating those. His only Premier League assist, by the way, was against Leeds. Leeds. Of course, it was yeah, in in it. Yeah, that's, that'll be this sort of, some sort of our scouting. Did he do well against the signing? <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's our first Anthony since Anthony Elding as well. Right, just to get that one in, that doesn't mean anything. But <laughs> popping on. Um, Jed Spence as well. He was um, joint third for chances created in open play by a fullback last time in the Championship, which was twenty one twenty two season. Um, again, talking about ball carries, he was top for fullbacks for carrying the ball forward distance wise and progressively, um, and he had the most chances created after one of those ball carries. So. You know, bursting through, getting forward, and then there's a lot, there's a lot of hope I think attached to this the Definitely. signing of, of Jed Spence, isn't there? Like you look at him and you saw the little you know first glimpses of it against Sheffield Wednesday, and you thought, ah, there's something there. I think in both him and Piro, you look at them and you you can see their stats from previous attempts at the championship, and you can go actually, no, you can see completely how they how that translates into extra points on the board. Yeah. Whereas some of the more speculative buys over the years, you're like, mm, let's see, let's see where they go in. But um, mm. yeah, there's. There's enough what data will, there. What was in boy bringers? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think with Piro, it's probably it's fairly well documented. Like he was a top scorer in the championship last two seasons, apart from Mitrovic, who had that crazy season. Um, only player to score 10 goals with right and left foot. And then, you know, we played him behind the striker against Sheffield Wednesday, which was probably the only time I've really, this season, I've been confused about what Farker's done there. It's yeah. like we've done the common sense thing where we've bought the best ch- striker in the championship, but then we've not played him up front, which yeah. I found quite confusing like he had I think I looked at his stats it was like two shots both from outside the box there was that one really early on he dragged wide one touch in the opposition box didn't create any chances so he was in that position which was kind of the almost the Hernandez position I guess you'd call it in number 10 um, so he, he, I don't really feel like he's that kind of player so I was a little bit confused really Farker did this though with Pookie didn't he he played Pookie behind somebody else for a, a short period of time at Norwich mm. and then ab- abandoned it I suppose you could look at the chances Ruter had in that game were kind of getting in behind the defence, weren't they? So mm. maybe that's a maybe we thought that would be the way to score against them, and him being fast was the way to do it. But then yeah. he had then he had that shot, and it was like yeah, oh. that was a, that was a bad one. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, to be fair, he did have that chance in the first half, Russo, where mm. it was a good save by the goalie. And again, you can look at yeah, again scoring the first goal could look at things differently. It's but. just finding a way to make these pieces work, isn't it? Because you feel yeah. like Piro was probably dropped into that number ten slot in the deeper role because well, we know the fuck I said it. It was because they thought they could get in behind with his pace. So. He's moving Piro to accommodate Ruter being up front. It's just it just awful PTSD flashbacks of uh, of Rodrigo being played in the number ten oh, good. over yeah. and over again. And you just please don't make the same mistakes again. Leeds yeah. sign a left back. I mean the the all important stat about Piro is obviously that he was the first player whose last two letters of his name are both vowels to score for Leeds since Luciano Becchio. Right. 
That was the important Bodes well. One. That's yeah. immediately what I thought of. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned Wazim Boy, two vowels in that. There you are, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so any other stats then that you can throw at us about the new signing stuff to look out for? Um, most of mine are just sort of, you know, the, 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 these players are all our first, like first names of all these players. First ever Glenn, right. first Jed, first Ethan, first Carl with a K. Right. We have had a few Carls before. If you can, we had three Carls. Dickinson, shut. Dickinson, shut. One in the seventies as well. Welsh, Welsh international. He's a winger. Not being alive is a <laughs> bit of an impediment to be guessing this. Is it a well-known player? Well, not particularly well-known, but yeah, he was around for a while. Well, she say? I'm going to say Carl Jones. There's <laughs> a guy, Carl Harris. Oh, oh Carl, yeah. Carl Harris. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be people, there'd be people screaming it. You know I actually didn't realise he was Welsh. All oh, right, oh, there you go. Yeah. I think he, he, he might crop up a bit again because we've got quite a few Welsh players. Mm. So I think it's like the first time we've had so many Welsh players in the team since Carl Harris's sort of era, so... Yes, the yeah. Welsh Mafia taking over. Yeah. Well, Johnny, thanks for coming in. It's always good to have a little catch up and find out um, what you've spotted with your, your your eye. That you, I like how you consume the game as well because you see things and you pick things and trends and little things must spark off ideas in your brain. Thinking, I'm I'm going to find out about that. Yeah, not normal things. I wouldn't say they're not. They're, yeah, celebrate it. Yeah. Absolutely celebrate yeah, it. Don't don't do yourself down. Can I can fun. I just mention one more thing? Yeah, that I, that I discovered which was Ilya Gruev's dad played for Bulgaria. Yeah, if you, mm-hmm. you um, he played against England at Wembley. In a friendly. David Batty is the answer here. He did. He, he did play. This is, that is good, very good. Uh, he <laughs> came on in the 62nd minute. Radostan Kishishev got booked in the 65th minute and then David Batty got subbed on in the 66th, which was a really good five minutes for Leeds midfielders. Well, there you presence. go. Wow. Look at that. I yeah. knew David Batty would feature in this yeah, just when you, just when you said great, it. That was great, Because <laughs> David Batty always seemed to play for England against like Bulgaria or someone of that mm. ilk around that time. So, yeah. Uh, that's a really good one. So, thank you. We'll close the show on that. Cheers, Johnny. We'll uh, catch up again soon, yeah? Yep. Nice one. Thanks for having me on. The Square Ball Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.